Welcome to the Academy of General Dentistry podcast series featuring Dr. George Schmidt. Each episode features experts in the field of dentistry who share insights and inspiration to help you succeed. Let's get started. Hey, I'm Dr. George Schmidt, your host for the AGD podcast series. Welcome back, and we're excited that you could be with us here today. Our guest is going to be Dr. Michael Abernathy. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, Mike. So Mike is an international lecturer, a successful past owner of an $8 million practice in McKinney, Texas, as well as numerous other practices across the country. He's a business coach and consultant. I consider him to be an expert in the field of practice management and the business of dentistry. He's the author of scores of articles, as well as two fantastic books, The Roadmap to Wealth and Security, and my favorite, I got a copy here with me today, Mike, The Super General Dental Practice. Mike can talk to us a little bit later about how we might get a copy of those uh, for the audience. You know, Mike, most dentists focus on the clinical aspect of our practice. You know, we're treating patients and, you know, excellent clinicians and do amazing dentistry. But unfortunately, a lot of dentists from a business standpoint are treading water or they're even struggling. They're worried about how to pay the bills or make the payroll. And a lot of that has to do with not understanding the numbers, the benchmarks of success, if you will. So folks like Marcus Lamona, Tillman Fertitta, another Texan, and others have always said, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And so we need to know the numbers. And Mike, that's what I want to talk to you about today and was hoping you could share some benchmarks and things we could shoot for as private practitioners. Sure. I, you know, and it's, I, I don't know who'll be listening to this, but if it's AGD, it's going to be a wide variety of ages and, and you know, different types of practices and everything. And I guess the bottom line, uh, I, I talked to a lot of doctors. I probably talked to four or five a day on the phone. Uh, I look at the numbers and, and I'm surprised at how difficult it is for them to get the numbers together or they're surprised when I mention something. So I, I guess, you know, from the start, you, you, you need to kind of remember, even if you're just a dental student looking at a practice, you can't manage what you don't measure. And uh, we kind of live from month to month. I mean, we kind of look at the numbers at the end of the month. Did we do good? Did we do bad? Did we do, what was it like a year ago? And so I've tried to dumb this down to make it really, really easy for doctors to see exactly where they are and be proactive about making changes. And so again, I, I can go over this list for you. Would you like me to just kind of start at the top and go down or how? No, I think that'd be a great idea, Mike. Go ahead and, uh, and uh, you know, I may, may have a few questions as you, as you move through it. Okay. Okay. Well, I think the first thing to remember is, you know, I, I remember going to um, Disney World, Disneyland too, and you get lost, or I did. I mean, I had the map, and I get lost, but they always had these kiosks where you could go, you are here. And so these numbers, if you will, in a way, self-diagnose yourself by, by tracking these down, you'll know exactly where you are and hopefully it'll help you go somewhere. So we all kind of use a profit and loss statement to judge our, our financial success in a dental practice. The problem is most doctors don't realize that a profit and loss statement is not profit and loss. It's, it's merely a gap document, a generally accepted accounting principle document the CPAs use to calculate taxes. And so anything that doesn't have a tax consequence isn't on there. And so I have doctors look at their net off of a P&L. It's just net profit. 
They're going, I don't have that money. Where is it? Well, it doesn't have debt payments on there because it's not a tax consequence. And so I can divide this into seven categories. The seventh category being what the doctor takes. And so if you look at a profit and loss statement, there could be 50, 60, 70, 100 different categories. We're not making those go away. We're just creating groups that all of those line items would fit into. And so the first one would be what you pay your employees. <clears throat> and so I'm going to go through here and quickly tell you what it would cover and then give you an ideal goal for it because I know we're limited on time here. So under employee costs, I include what I pay my staff. It includes hygienists, associates, uh, staff meetings, uh, staff lunches, uniforms, any benefits, uh, anything at all. Continuing education for the staff, it was for me, that would go under the seventh line. Well, so anything at all. And, and ideally, even in today's market, and I, and I have doctors look at me when I say this, you should be able to get that at 27 to 28%. I can keep that in all the practices I own, even including the CPA, the attorney, anybody that does something for us offsite, like somebody that does insurance or does uh, factors our accounts receivable, whatever. Any employee at all would go under that line. So that's the first category. And it, when I look at offices, that's the one category I see way off. Now, let me jump back just a half a step. I mean, I think everybody can look and know what they collected last year, right? At the end of the year, let's say it was a million dollars. You need to know what 1% represents. In a hundred thousand, I mean, a million dollar practice, 10% is $10,000. So again, when we look at these numbers, if you look at yours, if you self-diagnose and look what you're paying your employees, and it's not somewhere around the, let's say 25 to 30%, whatever percentage is off, that's money that could put, you could put in your pocket or you should share with your staff in the form of a, a bonus or profit sharing. Now, these aren't in any particular order, but this is the way I keep it on my PL. Next is facility cost. That would be the cost of the billing, Rent, insurance, utilities, telephone. Um, if someone was doing the upkeep of anything at all that that goes with facility costs would go under there. Taxes, property taxes would go under there. Again, the ideal amount would be around seven to nine percent. So we've got twenty-seven to twenty-eight percent for employee costs, seven to nine percent for facility costs. And the next category is dental supplies. It should be 6% or less. Like, let me ask you a quick question before you move yeah. on. So, yeah. so, so when you talk about employee cost, what would an ideal staffing setup look like? I mean, what should we be, what should we have? Two okay. assistants per doc. I mean, what, what, what do you, what do you see in there? Well, I, I mean, I kind of look at, at dentistry as a business and, and like most of you, I started at, out. And uh, I see a lot of doctors today that go, well, I need a hygienist, I need a front desk, I need an assistant, and they're just opening their doors. So I have a tendency to look at it the other way. I'm not going to hire an employee unless I can produce around twenty dollars to $25,000 per employee. So if I were starting out, I would just have an assistant. We get up close to $20,000. i am going to hire another person. It might be another assistant. It might be someone that can do front desk and assisting. And until I get up to maybe, 
you know, 40 or a little higher, I'm not going to hire a hygienist. I, I'm going to clean the teeth. I'm going to do whatever it takes. So when I look at offices, and it was especially apparent in 2020 when we had to close for a couple of months and we were scared when we opened that it would be, it wouldn't be a quick, it's all it's right back to where we were. Okay. It was going to ramp up over a period of time. I recommended that you not hire people back unless you were doing $20,000 per employee. Because this is the one area that I see doctors violate, it is the one area that you need to be aggressive about uh, in, in making sure that you don't make this mistake. So the way you'd figure this out is just take your collections for a month and divide it for the number of full-time employees you have. So if it was, let's say, $50,000 and you had five employees, that would be $10,000 per employee which would be real, real low. And if it was real low, if it wasn't close to 20,000, you're going to find that you're, you have little or no profit. So I think what you're, I think where you're getting at is we want to try to be lean and mean, even though that might be a little bit more work for the doc at the outset. Um, I think that's a goal that we should strive for. Well, I, I think the reason that we find it difficult to find employees today is we don't pay them. They, they, they've moved on to a better job with better pay. And so we've, we've gotten so used to paying people below what we should that when we actually look at it, we're going, oh my gosh, I can't pay a hygienist as much. I can't pay a front desk person this much. Now it goes back to you. You have to produce more with each employee to, to make this work. And so you're either going to you know, pay for it and no overhead, no EBITDA, or you're going to pay for it. If, if you think about it, about 70, 80% of the practice have no earnings. They have a, they make, you know, a good hourly wage for themselves. But if your overheads and the average overhead is about 72%, if you're over that or at that, there is no earnings in that practice. You're going to take 20, 25% home. There's no earnings. And, and consequently, the practice isn't worth anything in the market. So when you look at these numbers, we could look at this from the perspective of an, a, stu a student that just got out and was going to work for a doctor. These numbers are important to you. You're, you're not going to be able to get all of them. But when we get down to the bottom down here on this other stuff, you'll go, if you can't find practices that have a certain number of new patients and they're busy and, and, and they're profitable, you can't work there. DSOs won't pay you what you want. And an independent uh, purchaser, banks won't allow as lend money on a practice that's not profitable. Yeah, so it's nice to think of, you know, practice ownership, but frankly, if you're talking about the numbers or the, you know, if we, if we're looking at the numbers you're talking about, you basically just own your job. You don't own a business. Well, I mean, legally, you don't even own the practice. You have a corporation, you own the shares of the practice, you're a shareholder, and then you're an employee of the corporation and you must have a signed employee contract to be operating as a corporation. So you're an employee. And so again, doctors don't look at it this way but anybody purchasing a practice any cpa will look at it that way that's why these numbers are so important fantastic mike and so you, you kind of segue into facility costs so in a perfect world what have you learned over the years you know in terms of what would the ideal practice setup in terms of operatories be for the average dentist well i mean if you can ideally now and again when we talk about ideal i'm not talking about something that just opened today but it's been practiced for a year i'm going to say three years to five years. Normally when you borrow money, 
you have your lease held improvements and you're paying for equipment and it takes about five years to pay off. But from the perspective of operatories, you should be able to produce around $25,000 to $30,000 per op. Again, same thing. Divide your collections by the number of ops. Let's say you do 100,000, you had five ops. That gives you $20,000 per op. That's better than average. Average is 14,000. Okay. But average, nobody graduated from dental school wanting to be average. And average doesn't reward you with a sufficient good overhead to, to net money out of your practice. And so we're not looking at average. We're not looking at a boutique. We're looking at a general practice and what it would look like if it was well run. Fantastic. And, you know, backing up a little bit, Mike, in your experience, um, hygiene, production mm -hmm. or salary, how, they, how should they be compensated? Well, that's a sore, a sore deal here. But if we, if we go back 20 or 30 years ago, we paid all of our employees, cost of living raise every year, longevity-based raise. They work there longer, they get paid more money. Uh, and all we did was raise our fees. Today, in, with 76% of the patients outside your door having insurance, and most offices having at least 70% insurance, uh, we can't just continue doing that. So in hygiene, I think they're worth more than they've been being paid, but I think we ought to pay them like doctors, right? You, you eat what you kill and clean. And I can't afford to pay you if the cost of having you there is less than what we take in from what you produce. And most doctors never realize this unless they do one thing, run a production by provider report for, let's say, 2022, just any year, your full year, and then take your CPA's pay stub for that hygienist. Okay, so you've got what Julie was paid, you've got what she produced, her net adjusted production, and divide the big number and the small one, and it gives you percentage. So even if you're paying them hourly, you can figure out what that percentage is. I don't think a hygienist is worth over about 33% of what they do. No. Associates, about the same. That alone, you know, when you pay by percentage, is, de is defined by an algorithm. If your overhead is 70 to 80%, you can't even afford to pay that. So you can see there, there's this rhetoric reality gap, you know, when what you say and what you do is different. And so if you run these numbers, if, if you like think about profit, not, not as, a, as you're chasing money, but at, you know, money's just really a way of measuring the amount of service that you deliver to your patients. If you look at these numbers, there has to be benchmarks. There has to be a target, or you'll just wake up one day and go, there's no money left to pay my bills. Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic advice. So Mike, getting back to the, to the facility costs, yeah. You were saying in facility costs, everything gets lumped into there, the, the rent, the taxes. Yeah. Anything physically that you're running that practice with. I even put under facility costs, if you bought a practice and you were making payments on it, I'm going to place it there. Now, the CPA doesn't care. It's just that what we're looking for, instead of a P&L, is a cash flow statement, kind of like our checkbooks. We want to know what we collected and deposited. We want to know what we spent. We want to know what's left over. A PL will not do that for you. And so we can take a traditional PL and add in debt payments and group this this way. And you'll know every day what you're doing. You need to have access to this 
daily so you can peek at it. So you can look at it in the first week and make some changes so that the month ends up being good, not have it being given to you by a CPA, you know, 90 days after the month ended, okay? We have to be more like a uh, thermostat rather than a thermometer. We're not just reading the temperature. We want to set the temperature, okay? And we can't do that unless we measure things and have a benchmark to, to grade it against. Really great way of looking at that, Mike. That's okay. fantastic. Um, so I'm guessing the next thing you might want to talk about is dental supplies. Right. And it's pretty straightforward. It should be around 5 to 6%. And again, just know that you need to shop. Just like we do for home goods, it, it, sometimes you can't get the best prices you buy from just one location. Now, you can negotiate. Distributors, uh, online people, everybody, everybody will negotiate with you to make sure that this you know, that they keep you as a client. And so again, five or six, uh, marketing would be next. And again, when I talk about marketing, I probably look at it a tiny bit deeper than most people look at it. Uh, I would say it's just about anything you do. Everything you do is marketing, but under the cost of this, it would include internal marketing things like gifts, things like that. It would include external marketing things that might include Facebook, Google ads, postcards, billboards, radio, TV. I mean, anything at all that you do. Support for, you know, a baseball team or whatever you're doing. Uh, marketing should be around 3 to 5%. Now, I will say this. There are some locations where 3 to 5% is not enough. And it's not enough to just go, if you had to do $100,000 a month, it's not enough just to spend three to 5000 You need to look at it like this. Let's say you were an average practice that got 30 new patients a month, okay? Let's say 10 of them came from direct referrals. Now, your marketing didn't pay for those direct referrals. Your, your ability to inspire people did, and they told their friends when they came in. So that leaves 20. Let's say 10 came from PPOs. Your marketing didn't bring them in there either. They picked you off a list from work. So now we have 10 left. Those 10 are the ones that actually came in from your marketing. So divide that 10 into what you pay dollar-wise per month and see what the cost per new patient is. And I, I've seen offices are paying $1,500 a new patient. Okay. Again, we should have at least a 50% direct referral rate. If, it's, if yours is below that, I don't know that I'd be spending money on marketing because there are other things you could do to get ready for the patient, to inspire them. And I would say the percentage of direct referrals is the best number to look at to know that you're actually getting most of the things in your practice done properly. Okay. There's not enough people looking at that and you can't use your software to do that. You have to track that yourself. So that's really important number to look at. Excellent. Mike, two questions. So you talked about, um, you talked about the potential cost for a new patient. So what do we perceive as the value of that patient? over time. Now, I always look at them as lifetime patient. And, and again, for me, the average patient will stay a little over five years. Now, I'm in an area where it's one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. The average stay, the average stay in our city is five years. So even if I didn't do anything wrong, okay, every year I'm losing 20% of the people that came in just because they moved. It's called an attrition rate. So that's always, you know, let's say you were trying to get 30 
and it was a 20% attrition rate, you always have six patients a month that are going away. So you're constantly replacing those before you have any net gain. And, and so again, it's real important to understand marketing in Boy, I would love to talk to you about marketing because I have a book about marketing too I can send everybody, okay? But if I don't go to the next deal here, we're not going to get through in the time that we've got here, so. But real quick, Mike, and I know this is a big subject, but you really need to talk about, when you're talking about marketing, you really need to speak about the donor and recipient practice. I know you're big on okay. that. So just yeah. touch on that. That's important. Okay. I, I think I think if we, if, we, if we really got set down and in a funny way, there are donor practices and recipient practices. The donor practices are practices that they're real good dentists. Uh, they work the same hours, have the same type of, you know, equipment and operatories and staff and stuff like that. But for some reason, when someone visited, they don't really inspire the patient to show up, pay for the treatment, and refer everybody they know. And so what happens is they're constantly wondering, okay, we need more new patients, as if that were the problem. In the donor practice, the problem isn't the new patients. It's the fact that people don't like something about your practice. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. And we're all donor practices with some patients. Now, the recipient practice is the practice that, I mean, they may not, not even do that much marketing because patients are there all the time. They won't have 30 per doctor. They'll have 40, 50, 60 per doctor and people lined up around the door. Now, they do market because everything you do is marketing. But they inspire the patient. They appear remarkable to the patient. And if you think about it, like Seth Godin's book, you know, talking about the purple cow, he was saying, you know, you're driving along, you see cows, and the kids and I used to count cows, and, you know, we go, oh, there's a cow. We don't do that anymore because cows are everywhere. But you were driving along a country road, and there was a Barney purple cow. You were, honey, pull over, pull over. There was a, there was a purple cow back there. I mean, oh my God, back up. Here, take a selfie. You know, look at, can you read it? Look at the purple cow. They were remarkable. And average, average practices aren't remarkable in a consumer-driven business that have educated themselves about healthcare. And that's what we're trying to do with our marketing. I write a letter, a little card called a terrific patient card to every patient I stick with a needle. I handwrite it and say, hey, you're awesome today. If you need anything, here's my cell phone number. I give them my cell phone number. You give it to them, they wouldn't call you if they were dying. You don't give them a phone number, they will track you down and hound you till they find you. I mean, marketing is so important. And if you're in a professional building, because location is everything, you need to add about $5,000 a month to the three to 5% you have to spend. Because you, you're in a location no one's ever going to see using natural marketing. Really great advice, Mike. And uh, if you if you uh, if you don't know who the donor practice is, it's probably yourself, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. You're going. Well, I don't know. I had somebody in a lecture tell me actually a lecture you were in. Well, we don't have any donor practices. Well, then it's you. I mean, you know, because they're clear. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they don't do good dentistry. It's that in a small consumer driven business. People vote with their feet. And if you keep seeing the back of their heads, you're doing something wrong. So. Fantastic, Mike. So, yeah. So go on, continue on down your list there. Okay. So, so we've done employee costs, facility costs, dental supplies, marketing, and marketing was three to 5%. Lab would be next. 
And if you have a CIRAC or E4D machine, uh, E4D machine or something like that, the cost of that would be in there as well as the materials. It wouldn't be under dental supplies. So that should be around 8 to 10%. Now, let's say that you look and it's only 5%. There are a couple of reasons why that would be off. One could be you're in an area demographic where the age, uh, the average age is so young, like 28, 30 years of age, they don't need crown bridges, partials, things that you'd have lab stuff for. Or you could be in an area where they're just above poverty level for a family, you know, like 25, $30,000, $35,000 per family, and they can't afford that type of, of work. Or you have a non-assertive doctor that isn't presenting the dentistry they would do in their own mouth for their family. And so these numbers all have a positive and a negative side to it. The last one is going to be office supplies. And again, just like what's on your PL, it, it's it's office supplies, it should be less than 2%. Now, if you totaled up this employee cost with a goal of 27 to 28, facility with seven to nine, dental supplies with five to six percent, marketing at three to five percent, lab at eight to ten percent, and office supplies less than two, you would have an overhead of about 52 to 60 percent. Now, that sounds impossible since the average is 72, but it is possible still today. I still do it with practices every day and get this. So don't assume that this is an unobtainable mark. And even if you fall a little bit short, you're, you're still on the road to getting there. Well, Mike, those are a lot of great points. And, and, and for someone who's struggling with a lot of those categories, where do you think is the easiest place to start? Where can someone start that start chipping away at these numbers? Well, I, you know, that's kind of like asking me who should set goals, right? I mean, everybody should set goals, but most people don't. And the people that do sometimes don't do it right. They don't write it down. They don't uh, set a, day, a, a deadline. They don't act on it. But the real the real goal in chasing these benchmarks isn't to necessarily knock them down, but to become the person it takes to strive to do better in these areas. So if I were going to take one, you know, it's like the deal, like if I had debt, should I pay off the highest interest rate or should I pay off the lowest amount? Now I know on paper, it should be the lowest, I mean, the highest interest rate, but for me, knowing doctors, I would say take the lowest amount and pay it off so that you have a win. And so I would take one that let, let's say it was just dental supplies. You had seven or 8%. I get a budget. I'd get a purchasing order system and I would buy from multiple areas to get, get that down to 6%. It's easy to do that one. The most difficult one is going to be the employee cost because the only way to fix it, if I had all of your staff lined up and I showed them the facts, I shared with them, and I do on these percentages, I share these with my staff every month in every office that I've worked with. We let them see the percentages where they are. These are the only people that can help you hit this. So if I were explaining this to the team and said, look, I can't pay the bills. I haven't paid myself in two months. And the one that's most out of, you know, let's say it's 40% for employee costs. I can only think of three or four ways to take care of that. We can either low everybody's pay. Uh, we can fire some people. Uh, raising our fees won't do it anymore because it doesn't change our reimbursement with insurance if you're, you're not paid for service. 
And so there's only so many ways to do it, or we could collect, you know, everything that we do. I mean, over 100%. If I ask the employees to vote, you know what they'd say? Let's increase production and collect what we did because we don't want to fire anybody. And that's where you need to start with that. Now, your side of the job is you've got to get more new patients in. Let's say you have below average new patients. You get more new patients in because that introduces the hygienist, the potential of scaling root planings. It introduces you to more dentistry. You start looking at your schedules. You compress them a little bit. You know, everybody doesn't get an hour for their teeth being cleaned. They get however much time they need. But it could be 40 minutes. It could be 50 minutes. It could, if it's any more than 60 minutes, it's scaling and root planing. And so you start dotting the I's and crossing the T's and knocking some of these things down. Now, underneath these six categories, just to remind you, there's going to be 10 or 12 line items. Okay. And so there might be a line item under any of these that you could either eliminate or fix. I mean, you know, just a piece of that line item, not changing the whole thing, but working one of those to eliminate it or, or make it better. You know, Mike, I'm really glad you brought up uh, sharing the numbers because so many people, at least that I know, are afraid to sort of pull back the curtain and share that with the staff in a meeting or just let everybody know what's going on. Well, you know that that entire book was written about a purpose-driven, doctor-led, led staff-owned business model. And it is that ownership mentality with the, with the team that creates kind of a transformational leadership. So where most offices have compliance, get things done, they force people to get things done, they get it done. But I have commitment. I have a team where they have groups of people that work together. It's a whole different philosophy. And that, that's what that book talks about. And a lot of the doctors don't want to look at that, don't, don't want to look at the culture they've created. Because if you think about it, everything that you're doing, everything you've done, it was it's precisely designed to give you the results you're giving. And so if you want a different result, we have to go to do, doing different things differently. And, and I'm so happy that you invited me here to talk about some of these numbers because there's so much more explanation about it. But at the same time, it's the best way to self-diagnose yourself. So this is your kiosk at Disney. Take these numbers, see where, how, where you fall and go, okay, I didn't realize that I was so far off. I'm, I'm not saying these are perfect ideal goals for you. They're doable, but improving any goal from where you are is what we need to do every day. You know, constantly working on that. Can't coast. You're either getting better or you're losing. For 40 years, our office grew 15 to 20% a year. Every practice I've owned, 15 to 20% a year. We look at it as a business as well as an art and a career. And my, my staff don't look at it as a job. They look at it as a career too. That's why I don't have any staff turnover. Mike, so really valuable advice. I mean, just really good stuff. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time now. But uh, hopefully we'll we'll have you back if we want to come back and talk about so many of the other things that we could talk about. But again, Mike, I want to thank you. And if you don't mind, uh, perhaps you could share your contact information or maybe just sure. let some of the sure. listeners sure. know how they sure. can if you want the If you want the book, it's superdentalpractice.com. If you want to talk to me, my uh, cell, I mean, my cell number is 972-523-4660. 
And my email address is my last name, Abernathy, A-B-E-R-N-A-T-H-Y, 2004 at yahoo.com. Outstanding, Mike. Thanks again so much. And I also well, thanks for thank the invitation. You got it, Mike, anytime. So I'd also like to thank our producer, Kristen Gover. And if you like what you heard, please like and subscribe to our channel. And you can always find us on the AGD app. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or suggestions, contact us at news at agd.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.